I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. Episode number five for October 2021 theme month. Another selection of mine. 1955's The Night of the Hunter. Quite the film. First impressions. Did you mix up which theme month we're doing? It could have been a Christmas movie. I had forgotten. You just showed me a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Though it doesn't become one until very late in the game. Yeah. Uh, the the twist at the end of this left me scratching my head a little bit. Uh-huh. Maybe you can enlighten me a little. And we may have to go back and around to that one because we've got... I mean, it opens pretty well, but the last... At least third is a totally different movie. It becomes a totally different movie, and when does it become a totally different movie? Once they get found by the widow, or the... Well, it's not clear if she's a widow. Once they're found on the bank. I would say it happens earlier than that. It happens when they get onto the river to to make their run. Okay. Because if you'll notice, in the earlier part of the film, most it's played mostly realistic. Most of the exteriors are exteriors. It's filmed in the real world. It becomes very stagey after they get on the river, where you have a lot of forced perspective shots, and it gets more surreal as their journey goes. And this is a stupendous film, and you'll be surprised when I tell you this the second time I've seen it. Okay. I've been sitting on this DVD for a couple of years, figuring we were going to to get to it eventually. Okay. I first saw this movie in 2009. It, It made an impression. I mean, I bought the Criterion Collection DVD of it during sales month. But it's it's quite the story. It has to deal with set in depression era West Virginia and on to Ohio. And it has to do with the two little children and their parents, Peter Graves and Shelley Winters. Peter Graves attempts a robbery, succeeds at a robbery, but kills two people in the robbery and he goes to prison and he is executed. But before he is executed, he is cellmates with Robert Mitchum, who plays uh, Harry Powell, who is a quote-unquote preacher, but he's a serial killer and a con man. And he realizes that there's this $10,000, which I went to the trusty inflation calculator online. I picked 1932, even though it doesn't say the exact year. But $10,000 in 1932 would be equivalent to about $200,000 today. So a sizable sum. And so he, the Reverend Powell, tracks down the widow, integrates himself into her life, basically convinces her to kind of fall for him. And then they get married. And then on the wedding night, wants nothing to do with her physically. Much to her disappointment. And convinces her to basically channel that energy into kind of charismatic Christianity. And they they go about preaching, and he's the whole time, he's trying to win over these kids. The kids will tell him where Peter Graves had the money, which is in the little girl's doll. And eventually, the the little boy keeps telling the, the mothers, like he was just after the money, just after the money. And when she figures out that might be true, he kills her. And then pretends that she ran off, and then the, the kids take their dad's old skiff and they run down the Ohio River, eventually making landfall a couple times, but are eventually discovered by a kindly old woman 
played by Silent Scream star Lillian Gish, 1893-1993. And uh, she takes them in as she has taken in other young children. And, uh, of course, Harry Powell has been pursuing them the whole way, and it leads to a final confrontation. A confrontation between good and evil, or, if you'd like, the Old Testament and New Testament gods. This film is loaded with interesting imagery and symbolism. It very purposely invokes silent filmmaking. They even do that that one shot of Robert Mitchum where it kind of goes down to the circular thing. Oh, yeah. Very silent. Yeah. And just the, the stylism of some of the sets, especially in the, the latter half of the film, and the the heightened emotionalism that you get from that silent school of filmmaking, which is something that the director, who was the actor Charles Lawton, who we know from Witness for the Prosecution, this is the only film he ever directed. Hmm. He directed on the stage quite a bit, but this was the only theatrical uh, release he did. It is based on a 1952 novel in the Southern Gothic style by a man named Davis Grubb. And Grubb thought about adapting the screenplay, but he'd never adapted uh, a screenplay before. So it was decided to bring in a man who had done that kind of work before, uh, James Agee. James Agee was a prolific, very talented writer who worked in a lot of different genres, journalism, short story, screenplay. He also wrote The African Queen for John Huston a couple years earlier, which was an Oscar winner. And then he would win a posthumous Pulitzer Prize for his autobiographical novel, A Death in the Family, based on his boyhood in Knoxville, Tennessee in the 1920s. Hmm. Mr. Agee would pass away two months before this movie was released of a heart attack. And Charles Lawton would pass away seven years later in 1962. Not a success at the time of its release. It is now considered quite the classic, and I think quite deservedly so. Hmm. I can already tell you're higher on this movie than I am. And excellent cinematography, as mentioned by Stanley Cortez, who also did the cinematography for The Magnificent Ambersons, which was Orson Welles' follow-up film to Citizen Kane. And speaking of Citizen Kane, this movie has been likened thereunto by no less than the uh, prestigious French film magazine whose name I'm about to butcher, Cashiers du Cinéma, which in 2007 ranked it as the number two film of all time, uh, surpassed only by Citizen Kane. This one? This one. Hmm. I love it. I sense you don't. I think that I might have enjoyed it more had it not been presented as a horror movie month. Oh, okay. Because the part of this is, like, the opening, like, the the start of this when the preacher comes and Mm -hmm. kills the wife and that type of stuff. There's some horror elements there, but the the this film really isn't that much of a horror film. Yeah, that's fair. And so, like having it build in or you know inserted into to horror month, especially by the end of the movie, I'm going, wait a minute, what am I watching in horror month? So I the, well, it's perhaps more of a thriller. It's perhaps more of a horror in an existential way. Or I mean, Harry Powell is a horrifying character. Yeah, he's as bad as any serial killer you've seen in film yeah and he's just so slimy and charismatic and he's got this weird sexual thing where he's 
which is weird because he's he murders people and he constantly lied, but he is a prude. Yeah. When it comes to sexuality, it's like he has this part of himself in the early sequence where he goes to the burlesque show that is really into it, but also hates himself for it more than he hates himself for killing. Because yeah. as he says in one of his monologues to God while he's uh, traveling, it's like, I know you're not against killing. Your book's full of killing. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he, you're right. He is a terrifying character. But once he gets shot and then is arrested and the film keeps going, I'm like, wait a minute, where is this going? You know, and then there's that also an existential moment where the mob's coming for him mm. and the police have to rush him out the back but that's not the focus of what's happening yeah. it's the the fan or the it's Rochelle Cooper fleeing with the yeah. children from the town leading to, the leading the children mother goose like as she does several yeah, times back to the house and mm. away you know, from and then all it the closes on a happy christmas scene. yeah yeah i know yeah it's kind of kind of a little bit out of nowhere. It's very tonally... Yeah, I was going to say tonally very different than what I was expecting for tonight. One of the things that I enjoyed about the mob scene is the spoons, which were the Mon Pa yeah. confectioners from the small town that, that uh, our main characters are from who show up in the larger town for the murder trial yeah. and basically are at the head of this mob. They yeah. want to lynch the man. It's, and she's become a, she's become like drunk, which she'd never seen her before. Like she's completely been disillusioned by who this guy turned out to be because she was like his number one advocate. Yeah, it's Icy Spoon and Walt Spoon, played by Evelyn Varden and Don Beto, respectively. One of the things that uh, Lawton wanted to do with this film, one of the themes he wanted to explore, was religion. Obviously, ironically. Lawton was on a tour of giving Bible readings. He gave an enthusiast, you know, did multiple voices. He went on tour doing this hmm. around the time that this idea of making this book into a movie came about. And as in this film, he has very mixed feelings of about religion. I mean, there's parts of this film that are, I mean, Rachel Cooper is a saint. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she... She totally is is a believer, and she's totally a practitioner. You know, she lives it. Whereas Harvey Powell, Harry Powell, Harry Powell he can quote it. Yeah, and he's very much into uh, the vengeance part of it. But the unruly mob and the religious frenzy. Charles Lawton was a lifelong closeted homosexual, in a time where you could do hard time for acting on that, especially in Britain. And so he had this distrust of conservative religiosity, and he had this distrust of being people being whipped up into a mob. And this film very effectively conveys that, though it is kind of all lumped towards the end of the film. But I love the relation—I I love the kids. So the, the two kids in this film— are played by Billy Chapin, John Harper, and Sally Jane Bruce as Pearl Harper. Sally Jane Bruce is a very distinctive look. She's only five years old when she made this film. She has an unusually prominent forehead, but it's very memorable. Uh, she went on to be an elementary school teacher. <laughs> Billy Chapin went on to be a Marine. Wow. Yeah. And he really looks like he could be Peter Graves' son. 
Yeah. That's what really struck me in this film. It's like that casting, you know, is, is really solid. And how he, the love he has of his dad. And, and loyalty. He, and loyalty. And how he never, he does not warm up to another adult until Mrs. Cooper at the end. Yeah. That scene where he reaches out to touch her hand. It's the first time he's initiated any kind After of contact with an them. adult. Other, well, Uncle, uh, Uncle Bertie. Bertie Steptoe. Played by uh, James Gleason, another actor whose career dates back to the silent age, is this uh, local widower who lives on the river and likes to spend time with the kids, take them out fishing. He's, he's a good guy. In fact, he's the one that discovers... The body. The body, but... But he's afraid to to notify the police because he's afraid he's going to get framed for yeah. it or shut up. And... So he's sitting that night in his houseboat, getting drunk, trying to work up the courage to uh, report it. And uh, he ultimately does, and he, he falls blackout drunk asleep. And he was the one that told the kids earlier, if you ever need help, come to me. He's no help at the time that they come to see him. And so they get on the boat, head down the river, which has those wonderful shots of the animals at the foreground and it kind of goes into this fairy tale world and the sets of uh, like when they stop that first night the house and the barn they look like something out of the cabinet of dr calgari or german expressionistic filmmaking the the scene where they're up in the loft of the barn and they can see powell on horseback singing his hymns as he does uh, looking for them that effect was achieved by forced perspective. And so the pal on the horse is actually a little person on a donkey. <laughs> That's funny. I just, I really do. This is an amazing film. I, I mean, I recognize that it is beautiful. It's high, high quality. It is a good yeah. film. I just was thrown tonally expecting something different. Yeah. So I guess that's the, flip side of coming in basically blind well i'm still a little bit lost how this ended up being shown in a horror horror month well i I, I, it's kind of not that i'm i'm not trying to criticize i know it's it's kind of loose and you know we've called it horror month we've called it october halloween theme month i mean we did the muppets treasure or the muppets haunted Haunted Mansion, mansion which isn't really a horror movie yeah, uh, this is more of a horror enough. movie than that is. Fair enough. Um, it's you know it's existential horror. It's a thriller. It's it's fine drama. It's it's uh, you know it's good versus evil. It's one of the the most overt good versus evil films I can think of. It's also a big influence I I suspect on David Lynch in terms of the stylism. At the very beginning of the film where they have Miss Cooper and the children's faces in, in the field of stars. That is an effect that Lynch has returned to at least twice in his film, like probably three times now that I think about it. But also the stylized sets and the effects that are intentionally look fake to heighten certain stylistic uh, reasons and to make it seem kind of unreal. I think there's a. I think this was a big influence on Lynch. Hmm. I was looking at some uh, trivia on IMDb. Charles Lawton reportedly worked well with the boy playing John, but did not get along very well with the, gr- the girl playing Pearl and shouted at her on occasion. As Lawton had the camera continue to roll after the scenes were finished, the camera often caught her reacting to him. 
Some of these outtakes were used in the final editing process as reaction shots to the preacher's character. Well, one thinks of that particular scene where she's visibly crying, and yeah. it's hard to get a five-year-old to act cry, but you can get a five-year-old to actually cry. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Mitchum was very eager to play the part, eager for the part of the preacher. When he auditioned, a moment that particularly impressed Charles Lawton was when he described the character as a diabolical sh- and Mitchum promptly answered, present. <laughs> this is probably Mitchum's greatest performance. Yeah. And he was playing a little bit against type because Mitchum was kind of a film noir hero at, at this point. And he would always kind of play the unflappable guy who doesn't get worked up. Powell gets really worked up throughout this film. Yeah. And he gets, he gets pissed off and thrown off a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting film. It's easy to see why it would warrant some, you know inclusion in something like the Criterion Collection. Mm. Oh, here's another one. I do almost wish that my first viewing, again, like I just especially mm. after what we watched before this, mm. like I was totally I was expecting something different, and I almost wish my first viewing was under a different circumstance. Uh, but yeah, you may have recognized a little song. It was a little. Fly that had a pretty wife. The pretty wife had two pretty little children. You've heard this song in the last year. Can you name the movie that you heard it in? Not off the top of my head. I'm assuming you've seen this movie. It is used in Promising Young Woman. I haven't seen it. Well, it's used in it. Yeah. And when they were playing it in that film, I was like, I know this. Where do I know this from? And when I was doing pre-research for, for tonight, I'm like, ah, that's where I knew that from. <laughs> the duet scene where Miss Cooper uh-huh. and Mr. Powell are both singing the same thing. Oh, yeah. While she's holding While the shotgun. While she's holding the shotgun to yeah. keep him at bay that night. You know, it's it's the same scripture. It depends on, on how you use it. Yeah. This is the most profound well, part of Well, same thing with the song that they're, yeah, they're singing at different times. And, mm. yeah, and you know, when, when Billy Chapin, the little boy, sees her with the Bible, and it kind of has well, this Well, he look. steps outside at first. Yeah, it's like, I don't like that book. That book is not associated with well, good things yeah, to me. exactly. His, his limited experience uh-huh. with it is, is hypocrisy and yeah. things. And you can see him shift when he comes back into the house, you know, and it's like, hey, wait a minute, what is this? Yeah, because he, yeah. he was telling a Bible story and... Part of it resonated with him, and she, he was asking him about it. It's He is so good, Billy Chapin is in this. Yeah. He's so the older brother, and there's that scene early on after their father's been hung, and their mother's taken out of school because of obvious reasons. The kids have been taunting him. And, and the kids are outside of the school, and they're singing this song about hanging. And he, the two, him and the little girl are sitting there watching him, and you expect you would expect in a movie that he'd go berserk and he'd, he'd hit some of these kids. He just holds it. He's sitting there. He's pissed off, but he's not going to act on it. Yeah. He's very disciplined. Young well, in man. his scheming to get Harry Powell to go down into the cellar so he can lock him down there yeah. so they can make their escape. And... He's smart. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm not sure what the symbolism is on the watch, but at least that was a through line they introduced very early on. Just after the scene of the hanging song, where he looks kind of longingly at this watch in a store window, and that's what he gets for Christmas. It's just what he wants. Yeah. It's just, it symbolizes something to him. And yeah, it's such a nice 
resolution. Uh, we haven't talked about Ruby, the troublesome girl who's... How, how old is Ruby? 13? I would say 14. 14? Something like that. Yeah, played by Gloria Castillo. She is the oldest of Miss Cooper's... Uh, brood of... Brood of charges. Or whatever. And she... You were looking for love, Ruby, in the only foolish way you knew how. And this is just younger boys, and then when the preacher takes an interest in her to pump her for information about the runaways. As we learn later. And she just spills the beans to him because this is a, a, a man who paying her attention. What seems like genuine affection, yeah. not just physical attraction. Yeah. And, yeah. It's sad. And, and, and another thing that's sad is, and they never really get into this, and maybe it's addressed more in the novel, whatever it is that separated Miss Cooper from her son, because she talks about, you know, I've well, for a, lost my son's affection. For a couple minutes there, I wondered if it wasn't Harry Powell. Mm-hmm. You know, like when he first comes back to the house, I'm like, okay, is this the son returning home? You know, yeah. like, yeah. But he's like just perverted what she's raised him in or something, mm-hmm. you know, and... Yeah, so I I had a moment of like, oh crap, is that what that is? And he's she's gonna let him into the house because he's the son. Yeah, and, yeah. You know what that portrayal also reminds me of? We did a posted a recent episode on it. Billy Bob Thornton in season one of Fargo. Oh yeah, he's this malevolent force that came out of nowhere. We don't know his backstory, but he's like he's serious about killing and scheming and getting his way. And he's got a very particular moral code of sorts. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I love this movie. I'm giving this movie four stars out of four. I'm giving it ten out of ten. Oh yeah. 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 I'm torn where to give to let it land on the four star scale because I'm going to give it eight out of ten on the ten star scale. So I guess that puts it kind of right in that three and a half star range on the mm-hmm. four star scale. Well, maybe you'll have to sit on this one and revisit it at some point. I would like to. Yeah, again, I think you could have presented this as a Christmas movie, and it would work just as well. Yeah, you could you could have argued at the end, it's like, it was a Christmas movie at the end, but it was really more of a horror movie. True, <laughs> true. I don't know. We could have watched it numerous times, mm-hmm. and yeah. Well, I'm glad I finally found a way to work it in. Yeah. And I just kind of thought that it, it fit as a companion piece, stylistically, with Carnival of Souls. Yeah. Very heightened, yeah. Black and white. Stylistically, I can absolutely see that. Yeah, interesting dichotomy in films. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's really all I have to say about it. Okay. Well, I'm Rob, and I'm Nate, and this is Rob and Nate record a podcast. Yeah, I just got thrown tonally. It's it like I don't know if you caught that. Like at the end of the movie, I literally was like. Wait a minute, how's this going to connect? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it. you you could say that might be one of the flaws of, of the film, is, is it does, you know, that, that last part is so different than everything that came before. Yeah, and that, I mean, I, I have a feeling that no matter when you watched it, that huge shift is going to be like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, you know, yeah. Yeah. But it would be interesting to analyze... I don't know, screen time. But, you know, Robert Mitchum isn't in the, the end of the film that much. He's, he's no. eclipsed by, by Mrs. Cooper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's not clear. Was he sentenced to death? 
does he get out of town? I know they leave that kind of ambiguous because yeah. the mob is on its way and we don't know for certain if the police succeed and get him out. Well, but if he was scheduled to be executed, like, I don't know. Like, but it's not clear if he was actually sentenced to death because... Because the boy wouldn't... Uh, identify wouldn't, him. Wouldn't yeah. look at him and identify that him. That was interesting at, at the end when the cops got him, they got him down on the ground, and it evokes the same thing that happened to the, the biological father at the beginning of the film. And that breaks the little boy. It's like, no, stop it. He just can't, he can't stand to see that because it reminds him of, of his own father. Yeah. And that's all this time keeping the money and keeping the doll where, where it had been stashed. And then he just like literally throws the money on the man as he's being handcuffed. So yeah. he does kind of get what he was after at the very end. Yeah. Not that it does him any good. Yeah. Well, and that's, I presume that's when he decides to fully trust Miss Cooper and, and give her money. and Because he, he feels that guilt about the money that his mother always claimed to have early on. Sam said, I need to know what happened to the money so that he knows, so everybody knows that I don't have it. Yeah. And that I don't want it. And this was this thing that his father had entrusted him with and did everything to protect it until it finally got to the point where he legitimately didn't want it anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's a fun film. Oh. I am glad that I saw that. Mm. But, yeah. Had you even heard of it? No. It was not rated. No. Yeah. 1955. Yeah. Again, didn't didn't do good business at the time. Didn't cost a ton to make, from what I've read. So, looks like here it says seven hundred and ninety five thousand dollar budget. <laughs> that can't be that right. Can't a worldwide be right. gross of yeah. two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, that's not right. It lost money, but I don't know how much yeah. money it, it lost at the time. Yeah. Interesting. So I didn't intend to do this, but I ended up kind of doing a theme. I was thinking about this, and I did a theme last year as well, my Halloween selections. So last year's theme would have been Corman-esque, because we had uh, Targets, we had Chopping, Chopping Mall, Mall, and we had the Slumber Party Massacre. All Corman-esque exploitation movies. This year's theme, already black and white. <laughs> Not not what you think of when you think of uh, a Halloween theme. Yeah. All right, you ready? Yeah. And here we are, 11 o'clock at night. 11 o'clock at night, as I'm yelling <laughs> from your loft. That's going to be an outtake for Jackson. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, keep going. Sorry.